Welcome to Heroes of Brand Protection Podcast, Episode 29. I'm your host, Daniel Shapiro, Senior Vice President of Strategic Partnerships here at Redpoints, the world's fastest growing digital revenue recovery platform with a mission to make the internet safer for both brands and consumers. In this podcast, we'll share stories and industry insights from some of the leading experts in brand protection and anti-counting freighting from many different industries. We are so happy you could join us today, and please check out all of our episodes on www.redpoints.com forward slash podcast. Today, we are thrilled to be speaking with Christina Metropolis, Director of External Relations for Anti-Counterfeiting at the International Trademark Association, also referred to as the INTA. Originally, our guest thought she'd become a doctor, but she realized she'd have to be okay with blood, so she quickly abandoned that dream. Before entering law school, Christina spent some time with Louis Vuitton in the New York City IP department in criminal enforcement. This experience really changed her mindset as she entered into law school. Besides work, we also asked Christina a serious question such as, what's your favorite emoji? And listen to what she said. Christina, thank you for joining us today. We're thrilled to have you on our podcast. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Great to be here. Before we get started, I think as people get to meet you, maybe you could share with us what you think your most used emoji is so people know who you are. (laughs) I would have to say my most used emoji is the 70s dancing man. I think he's a, a fun addition to any conversation. Very nice. I'm not sure I know. I'm going to have to look at my emails from you to see if I have the 70s dancing man on any of those emails. Tell me, when when you think about going out with your friends or talking with colleagues and you have a story that I'll say maybe one of your funniest stories or something that sort of clicks and you tend to tell it when you're having a glass of wine or out with your friends, what, what's that one story from your personal career that sort of replays in your head often? So one funny experience that comes to mind, when I was in law school, I was a student volunteer at the National IPR Center in Virginia. So one of the responsibilities I had in that position was to transcribe all of the voicemails that came in from members of the general public, different brands, government agency representatives and associations, basically providing leads on counterfeiting and piracy. So while we did get significant leads every so often, it was very entertaining to listen to voicemails from members of the general public who wanted to call in with their grievances. So I remember having to go into my student volunteer position and transcribe all of these voicemails. So very interesting to hear friends and family members tattle on each other about who was selling counterfeits, who was buying counterfeits. And then also very interesting to hear individuals that like to call out celebrities as counterfeiters. So I remember we got a couple of voicemails on Arnold Schwarzenegger being a popular counterfeiter. So it was very entertaining to transcribe these voicemails, one, but to share them with my supervisor at the time. And I remember having a really good laugh. That's really sort of hysterical thinking about people sort of uh, use the term tattling on each other or sort of calling some people out. But interesting that we have celebrity counterfeiters like Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day. Very cool. (laughs) So again, maybe tell tell us what you wanted to be when you grow up or what you wanted to be when you grew up. 
So at a young age, I thought that I wanted to be a doctor, but quickly learned that I cannot handle blood. So I quickly parted ways with that dream. And as far as what I would like to be when I grow up, during the pandemic and over the last couple of years, I've gotten very into analog film and film photography. So who knows, maybe at some point later on in my career, I will uh, transition and become a photographer. Very nice. Listen, it's always good to have uh, goals and hobbies. We'll look for your we'll look for your upcoming art in a studio somewhere. <laughs> and following up on that, I guess maybe share with us how did you get here? How did you end up in this brand protection space? What was your journey like? Where did you go to school? What was your first job? How did you get here? Sure. So I went to Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, and I was a classical civilization major and legal studies minor. So I knew that I wanted to go to law school. As I was wrapping up college, I decided that I wanted to work a year before starting law school. So as I was exploring different options, I ended up landing an internship at Louis Vuitton in New York City in their intellectual property department on the criminal enforcement team. So I had no idea what intellectual property was. Growing up in New York, I remember in the early 2000s, going into Manhattan and seeing all of the street vendors selling counterfeits. I knew that those goods were fake, had no idea where they came from, knew that they were not affiliated with any brand, you know, the different brand names that you would see, especially popular luxury brands. So I knew that counterfeiting was a thing, but really didn't know that there was a whole industry designed to protecting brands and that people actually had jobs that went to protecting these brands. So it was really eye-opening when I started at Louis Vuitton, especially being on the criminal enforcement team. And I interned there for just over 10 months before law school. So learning how to build investigations, how to develop leads and targets and work with customs and border protection. I mean, all things that I had no prior experience doing, but was really, really interesting. And so it's funny to look back. I think had I not had that experience going into law school, my career probably would look very different today. But that being said, having had that experience, I knew going into law school, um, to GW Law School in Washington, D.C., that I wanted to focus on IP and anti-counterfeiting. Awesome. And then how long have you been at INTA? So I've been at INT or the International Trademark Association. We love a good acronym in this industry. Yes, of um, <laughs> I've been at INTA just over a year now. Great. And maybe for those who are listening today who may not be familiar with the International Trademark Association, give us a little bit of background as as far as what they do, where you're based, you know, where does uh, INTA operate? Sure. So INTA is a global community of brand owners and professionals, really with the mission to protect brands and intellectual property, as well as other related trademarks. So what we do, and I'm currently based in New York City, where INTA's headquarters are, we work with brands across every industry sector and brands around the world, as well as attorneys, service providers, basically every stakeholder in the IP space on different issues that affect all of us stakeholders. So I oversee INTA's anti-counterfeiting portfolio. That is one of the largest portfolios and the anti-counterfeiting committee is one of the largest committees at INTA. 
So that's more on the policy and advocacy front. But in my role, I also oversee INTA's Unreal Campaign Committee, which is really great and a lot of fun. Uh, It's INTA's Consumer Awareness Initiative that's designed to educate young consumers between the ages of 14 and 23 on the importance of intellectual property and the dangers of counterfeiting. Awesome. And we're going to get to that because I'd like to ask you a little bit more about that. But if you had to describe, Christina, International Trademark Association in one sentence, what would be the sentence that encapsulates INTA? So I think to sum up INTA in one sentence, I would say it is a global network that focuses on cutting edge IP issues. Just looking at the members that we have that are located all around the world, we have over 35,000 members, which is a pretty pretty large number. It keeps us all busy, but there's really power in the network that INTA provides and just being able to learn from so many different professionals in the IP anti-counterfeiting brand protection space and just what's going on all over the world. As we know, we're all very busy, but it's very fascinating to learn what's happening in different jurisdictions and what different professionals are focusing on. Awesome. And uh, 35,000 members is uh, a a significant trade association or a significant community, as as you called it. What is sort of the most difficult part of your job as sort of director of external relations for anti-counterfeiting? What what are some of the challenging aspects you face in your work? So like I was saying, the anti-counterfeiting committee is the largest committee at INTA. So we have over I think we're at over 350 members that sit on this committee. So in my role, I oversee not only the full committee, but nine regional jurisdictions. So our anti-counterfeiting committee is subdivided into regions. So overseeing not only the efforts of the full committee, but all of the regional subcommittees and just keeping up to date on what's going on as far as laws and different regulations all around the world. I mean, it it feels like there are not enough hours in the day, but as we know, things progress very quickly in certain parts of the world. So just trying to keep tabs on what's going on, that definitely keeps me up. Yeah, I'm sure. Listen, that's that's a challenge, particularly not everybody sees the IP space the same, right? Everybody has a little bit different angle on it. I'm sure that that shows up in the committee work that you're managing. Definitely. And I think that's the beauty of the committee. So we have people that are focused on anti-counterfeiting NIP, but they each lend their own perspective. So whether we have someone who works in-house at a brand, we have someone who's working at a law firm or a service provider, all of us are looking at the same issues, but from a different lens. And that definitely lends itself to very interesting topics of conversation during our committee meetings. Yeah, I'm sure. And I wanted to circle back to the Unreal campaign that you mentioned previously, but maybe for those people who, and I know you gave a quick high-level summary, but for those people who are listening to us today, share a little bit more about what the International Trademark Association is doing with the Unreal campaign. Sure. So the Unreal campaign actually just celebrated its 10-year anniversary this year. But Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to the Unreal campaign. So what it is, is a consumer awareness initiative that's designed to educate young consumers on IP and the dangers of counterfeiting. So the sweet spot that we target for the Unreal campaign is young consumers between the ages of 14 and 23. Obviously, there have been instances where we've targeted a younger audience or a slightly older audience. But 
what we found and what we do with the Unreal campaign. We have gone into different schools and universities and delivered in-person presentations. And then over the course of the pandemic, and even now we're still delivering virtual presentations as well. So there's the opportunity to do this both in-person as well as over Zoom. So what we have our members do, and we really rely on our member volunteers to spread the message of the Unreal campaign. We've put together a presentation that they use. But again, this is meant to be a very high level presentation. And again, depending on the age of the audience that our members are reaching, or again, their level of knowledge on intellectual property, the presentation can differ. And again, depending on where these students are located. So the conversation on IP might look and sound very different in Latin America versus the Middle East, but the messaging is the same. And one of the great things about this campaign is that it's a two-way dialogue. So we have members that go into, again, these different schools and universities and share their experience in IP. But what's really great is we also have a, a portion of the presentation where our member volunteers can also ask the students, where have you found counterfeits? What has led you to purchase a counterfeit product? So it's a very interesting two-way dialogue. And I think we learn just as much from the students as they do from us. Yeah, great campaign. I I love the idea of tackling it with the young people, which is sort of perhaps in some cases the driver, not always, but could be the driver. I think it's a great, great program. So again, happy anniversary to the Unreal campaign. So here comes the big question. How do you think we can dismantle these big organized crime organizations that either manufacture or sell? Does International Trademark have a thought on that? You know, what agencies to collaborate, thought process on on some of that? I mean, I think it, it really boils down to powers and partnership, right? So working with government agencies around the world and sharing intelligence and information with them. Obviously, many of them are working with limited resources. So to the extent that INTA can facilitate that information exchange, hopefully that will one day dismantle these criminal organizations. But I think the reality is, and all of us who work in the space are very familiar, you dismantle one, another one is going to pop up in its place. So I think really just trying to understand and learn from each other, again, what are the trends that certain brands and certain industries are seeing and how can we learn from them? But then how do we take that to another level and also make sure that there's there's proper action and sharing that with law enforcement and government agencies? And then from the policy and advocacy side of things, how do we get legislators involved? How do we have stronger IP laws and regulations in place so that we're not falling behind. Yeah, and I think to your point, sort of acknowledging that there's these organized criminal organizations out there and that that's part of the problem or if not the significant piece of the problem and collaborating for the best outcome, right, is is critical. And I think that all of us know counterfeiters are very savvy individuals. So how we dedicate the time, the resources, the energy and attention on learning the trends that they're implementing, right? Whether that's online or offline, they're also learning and they're seeing, again, what's happening globally? What are the circumstances globally? If there's supply chain issues, how can they pivot? So very savvy individuals that I think will continue to adapt and evolve the techniques that they use when it comes to selling and manufacturing counterfeits. 
Yes, totally. And listen, I, maybe as a follow-up, is there, um, from the International Trademark Association, is there uh, tips you give consumers about buying a fake by mistake, or is that anything that happens in your organization related to consumer information? Sure. I think this comes up, especially when we're delivering Unreal campaign presentations and talking to these younger consumers. I think all of us are very familiar. If it's too good to be true as far as pricing, then it probably is. So we definitely encourage young consumers to spend the time doing their due diligence and their homework, especially when they're on social media platforms or some of these popular e-commerce marketplaces. So again, seeing who's selling the product, where it's shipping from. Again, is there anything that might seem like a red flag indicator? But at the same time, again, what we hear from a lot of these younger consumers is that they're duped and they don't know that they're buying a counterfeit. They intend to purchase an authentic and legitimate product, but then what ends up showing up at their doorstep is counterfeit. So I think that to the extent that we can put out these tips, it's great, but also There will always be situations where some consumers, again, don't intend to purchase counterfeits, but they do, even when they do do their due diligence. Yeah, thank you. And those are all very, very good points, right, from a perspective of consumers. Well, the episode before you, we had Russ Jacobs, who is the director of corporate counsel and IP at Starbucks. And he had a question for you, which was, how has the pandemic affected your priorities or the way you work at INTA? So I think looking at the anti-counterfeiting committee and also the Unreal campaign and Unreal campaign committee, I mean, we've seen this huge shift to online activity. And I mean, that was happening pre-pandemic, but I think over the course of the last couple of years, just seeing this shift to online shopping, I would say that the members of our anti-counterfeiting committee, again, We've had many conversations on this, trying to prioritize online activity. I mean, we're seeing, again, activities resume in the physical space, but I think that there's definitely this priority for online activity and online efforts. And I think that that will just continue to grow. And many of the marketplaces that we're focusing on now, I'm sure we'll be talking about new and emerging platforms two, three years from now. So just keeping up with all of these online trends and again, the volume of activity and sales that's happening in the online space. Yeah, and I, and I think that's sort of the, the kicker, right? Is sort of thinking about how people pivot and how, how things change over time. What advice would you give to someone who is a young person, maybe wanted to pursue a career similar to yours? Would there be some tips that you might give a young person who's thinking about entering the IP space? So looking back on my career, and I remember when I was in law school, the, I think the trajectory that was promoted was to go to a law firm and that's how you would have a career in IP. What I would recommend for students or law school students that are thinking about a career in anti-counterfeiting or IP is it's not a linear path. I think that there are so many issues that IP and anti-counterfeiting touch on, whether that's tech or supply chain. I mean, there are so many different pathways to end up in this space. So I think for students looking at it or considering it, you don't have to work at a law firm in order to end up in anti-counterfeiting or brand protection. I think that keeping an open mind, I mean, 
looking back when I got my start in policy and advocacy, I had no idea that I would end up here. So things end up working out. And I actually have the pleasure of working with a lot of people that I knew from law school and also through my various internships. So being able to, again, keep an open mind and see that there are a lot of different areas that touch on IP. And if one interests you, you very well might end up in this space one day. Yeah, I think about it, you know, as we put this podcast together, our heroes of brand protection and try to find out how we all ended up in this space is sort of interesting. I think your your advice is good sage advice about letting things sort of happen and keeping an open mind, right? Because you really don't know what you'll want to do and how you'll approach what you do in the future, right? Exactly. And I laugh. I mean, as as there are all of these new and emerging platforms, I feel like I'm very behind. So I have to consult my 13-year-old cousin and she's taught me all about TikTok and Roblox and Fortnite. So all of these emerging platforms. So I think that's a Definitely interesting to think this younger generation, even the students that we target with the Unreal campaign, I mean, they've come up in this age where they're on their phones, they're familiar with all of these platforms. So one day they will be the go-to experts for us, and especially all of the IP professionals in the space to learn all of these platforms. And like I said, I'm sure we're going to be talking about new platforms two, five years from now. So we'll definitely need the expertise of the younger generation. Yeah, for sure. And I was going to ask you, you know, in your career, has there been someone who inspired you? Was there a pivot person or persons in your career that sort of helped you with your trajectory? So looking back, I think at the last several years of my career, I've been fortunate. So I worked at two member-driven organizations, the American Apparel and Footwear Association, and now the International Trademark Association. So I would have to say all of the members that I've worked with, I mean, I've learned so much, both from the members at AFA and now at INTA. It's always fascinating just to, like we said before, hear all of these different perspectives and how all of these people got their start in IP. So definitely have learned a lot from the members along the way. So Christina, what would you like to know from our next guest on our podcast? So I think the question that I would ask for the next guest is if they had the opportunity to deliver an Unreal campaign presentation in their city what would be the messaging that they would focus on during the presentation? That's a good question. What what would yours be, by the way? So it's very interesting. As I've gone to different presentations and participated in them, hearing what messaging resonates for young consumers. I mean, what we know in the industry, that it impacts the economy, that it impacts jobs, very important. But I think that being realistic and knowing that a 14 or 15-year-old consumer might not actually take the time to understand that. So what's the messaging that we can use to have this resonate in an effective way? So whether that's talking about the health and safety implications of counterfeit goods, the environmental impact that it has, the links to criminal organizations. I think that depending on the age of the audience, we need to think about how we can have and how we can craft messaging that will resonate versus spewing off statistics or referencing publications. All of these are important, not to get that wrong. All of these are very important in our industry. But I think that when we're talking to younger consumers, I think we need to be realistic about the messaging that we use and how that will actually stick with consumers 
well after the presentation so that it's not that they sit through a 45 minute presentation and think, oh, that was interesting, but how do we actually have tangible messaging that will actually shape their consumer shopping behaviors? Yeah, awesome. And I want to finish up our podcast today with you with four questions in 15 seconds. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right, here's a rapid fire four questions. Favorite music band or singer? Celine Dion. Nice. Favorite book? The Immortalist by Chloe Benjamin. Great. And if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? I would have to go with my Greek and spinach pie or spanakopita, as we call it. I love that. Love it. And what is your go-to resource to keep up to date on all things brand protection? The fashion law. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Christina. We loved having you today. And I think we really got a glimpse into how you ended up as one of our heroes of brand protection. Thanks so much, Daniel. Well, Christina, it was very interesting to learn about your journey and your insights into the intellectual property space. I'd like to highlight a couple takeaways from the conversation that I think are important. Number one, INTA's Unreal campaign just celebrated their 10th year anniversary. It's a consumer awareness initiative designed at educating consumers with regards to IP and the dangers of anti-counterfeiting. Congratulations, Christina and the whole INTA organization. Number two, thoughts about a career in anti-counterfeiting. Spoiler alert, it's not a linear path. There are so many different ways that you can take to get into this interesting space. What's important is to keep an open mind when approaching the industry. Well, that's it for us today. If you like what you heard, check out our next inspiring personal story from another hero of brand protection. You can find us on all of our platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music, as well as Twitter and LinkedIn. Make it a good day.